Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Church, how we doing? Good. Woo! Got a couple woos. Join us online. We are glad that you are with us this morning. If you're new with us, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and uh, we are, like I said, we're, we're glad you're here, and we are wrapping up a series today, our Love Where You Live series. We're going to be in Acts 1, so if you have your Bibles, you can flip or click to that spot. Um, a couple of uh, get-tos, as uh, summer camps used to say. They're announcements. I don't know why they call them get-tos. Anybody else here get-tos? No? Just me? Okay, cool. My weird camp. Anyway, a um, couple things. As you pulled up, maybe you noticed that there's a, a big open patch on the front of our building that is not yet painted. Uh, it is not just a reminder that uh, our building used to be a different color. Uh, there's a massive crack right there in our stucco, and so we're getting that repaired. We're getting the roof repaired because of that, all that stuff. So we're going to be living with that crack for a while. And then also, we really enjoy modern art here. And so that portion right over there is just going to stay like that for a no. Uh, that's uh, going to get buttoned up. So all the paint, everything like that, man, we'll be looking fresh and clean uh, for, for Easter next week. But uh, Gary Roach has uh, been taking the bull uh, by the horns on all of his projects. He's done an incredible job. So can you just thank him for me real quick? I don't know if he's here or not, but... Thank you, Gary. Uh, and then I know some of you like to join us uh, as we're walking through different books of the Bible and reading those different things. We're going to be walking through the book of Exodus beginning the week after Easter. So that's April 11th. Um, and so uh, we're going to be in that book for, for throughout the summer, actually. So it's going to be a deep dive into the book of Exodus. I'm really excited about it. But if you wanted to read through or start reading through that, you can... Uh, you can do that. But, uh, but let's wrap up a series. We've been largely talking about how it is that we are supposed to love where we live. We focused on different things from our, our, uh, our neighborhoods to our communities. Um, and uh, today we get an opportunity to think a little bit bigger, but really just think about the mandate that we have uh, regarding, Christian, regarding us being Christians for the world. Um, and a lot of you may know, if you've been with us recently, Sarah and I just, uh, we just moved. Uh, we bought a house over uh, on the east side of town, kind of 43 in Fargo. Um, and uh, it's great. The yard, absolutely incredible. It's about an acre of land. So we got five kids, right? And so like when we say go outside, like sometimes we don't even know where they are. And it's incredible. It's so great. Um, but, but like there's shade and there's dirt, like the, the amount of dirt in, track, in, tracked into our house now is at an all-time high. I'm really excited about that. Um, but there's trees for them to like climb and fall out of and like there's space for them to like play catch. And like we, we have a fake full court basketball, uh, basketball court in our driveway. Uh, it's not actually full court. We just have hoops on both sides, but they don't care. So like they're, they're, like they're doing that whole thing. And the whole reason we bought this house was so we could just get our kids and just like, hey, go be outside. Go be boys and ride bikes and skin knees and fall out of trees and do all of those things. And it's been a joy. Like we got a pool. They haven't even, I mean, they've been in the pool twice. It's a terrible decision. It's freezing cold. Um, but like this summertime, they just get to go and be boys. And we're really, really excited about that and the blessing that this yard uh, is going to be for our family and the joy that it brings for our family. And everybody that I've walked through, they're like, man, this yard is so great. And I swear, they don't even take a breath before they say, but man, your yard work just like quadrupled, huh? And I'm like, hold on, time out. Can you at least just take a second and let us just enjoy the yard before you're like, man, this is going to be terrible for you. Um, 
And, and there's a responsibility that goes along with it, right? For you homeowners out there, you know that there is a responsibility that comes with home ownership in some way, shape, or form. So while we're enjoying the blessing of this new yard and the boys being outside and playing and doing all of that stuff, there's also a responsibility that comes with it as well. So when I found out that the heat exchange in our HVAC was cracked two weeks after I moved in, there is now a responsibility for Sarah and I to be able to take care of that so we don't die of gas poisoning. I don't think that's the actual term. Someone can correct me later. Okay, like there's a responsibility now. And then plus with like this big, beautiful yard with like a thousand flower beds in it, that means, hey, I got a whole bunch of weeds to pull. Good news is I got five boys who uh, don't have calluses on their hands yet. So they'll figure that out real soon. But I have responsibility then. Like we as a family, we need to take responsibility for this home. As we enjoy the blessings of the home, there's also a whole lot of responsibility that goes along with it. And that's true of our Christian lives as well. Okay, while we enjoy being part of the family of God, while we enjoy the blessings of being part of the family of God and the kind of the joy that comes with it, there is a vast amount of responsibility that comes with it. And oftentimes we forget about that. We forget about that responsibility that goes along with it. Because in Western Christianity, I'm not picking on America or Western Christianity, oftentimes we feel really good about receiving the good news. We feel really good about receiving the gospel, but we seem to fall flat oftentimes about the proclamation of that good news. So we talked about that largely last week. That, hey man, like we need to start getting, the, we need to have a sense of urgency towards the proclamation of, of the gospel. Yeah, we've become kind of seasoned Christians in a sense. And because of that, we can miss out on opportunities and responsibilities to share the good news of the gospel. And I think this trend really has started happening after World War II, looking at Christianity. There's different studies and that sort of thing. And some people think it started later or whatever. But this idea of like cultural Christianity, because America's roaring back after two World War II or two World War victories, you guys have probably seen that shirt, like two-time undefeated World War champions, right? Like America's roaring back after that. We just came out of a, of a Great Depression, and the American dream was largely able to be realized by the majority of people. The majority, majority of people in, the, in America, if you grew up in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, early part of the 80s, the American dream was largely available to everyone. And one part of that American dream a big part of that American dream was the expectation of church on a Sunday. It was the expectation that, hey, if you are going, like if you're going to do the white picket fence and the two and one quarter kids or however many kids and, and the dog in the yard and all of those different things, then also you're going to show up on church on Sunday because that's what we do. Christianity was normalized post-World War II. And so what happened was, is, is as something gets normalized, it begins to be taken for granted. Because as everybody was going to church, pretty soon nobody understood that there was a mission field outside of the walls of the church, right? Because if everybody's there, then there's no urgency. There's no sense of need to be able to spread the gospel. And so as that was taken for granted, now all of a sudden, we have forgotten as the capital C church, not just FBH, but we have forgotten what it means to be on mission for Christ. Okay, the church at some point got turned into a cruise ship, something to be enjoyed, something to, to get our soft serve ice cream, and hey, the coffee didn't taste too great, so I'm not going back to that one, rather than a battleship to be prepared in. And that's the reality of the Christian church today. Oftentimes we look for a cruise ship rather 
than a battleship. And when we chose to follow Jesus, right? And, and at the end of all of our messages, we pray what we call the ABCs at the end. It's, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, believe that Jesus died for me on the cross and I choose to follow him. That choose part that we often take for granted, like that choose part, we are now choosing the responsibility that comes with the blessing of being in the family of God. That's our responsibility that we need to be able to, to step up to the plate. I was reading a story about a guy by the name of, um, of Hudson Taylor back in the 1800s. And he was called by God, he felt called by God to go to China. And he spent 51 years as a missionary there. And he founded a ministry called the, the Inland China Mission. And it ended up sending over 800 missionaries to China, 800 missionaries there. Yeah, and actually that, that organization, it still exists, it's still spreading today, even under, you know, communist rules, millions of Chinese men and women are, are, are coming to Christ. But one, one December, uh, Taylor, he, he wrote home about what, what, what life was like for him while he was living in China. He said that it was very cold, he said there was no, no ceilings in their house, that their, their bedroom wall was just a sheet that had been pinned up. But he said, he said, we did not come to China because missionary work here was either safe or easy, but because he had called us. That's why he went, because he had felt called to go. And here's, here's the funny thing. Oftentimes, as Christians, we wait. Like, well, I'm going to wait for God's will in my life. I'm going to wait to be able to move until God is very clear about what he wants me to do, until he mails me a, a self-addressed or, or mails me an envelope that says, hey, this is exactly what it is that you're supposed to do, right? And then all of a sudden we're going to go, we, like we wait for that type of prompting. But the reality is that God has already called all of us to go in Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, it, uh, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, Easily translated, we are supposed to tell people about Jesus. Jesus is the message of Acts 1.8. Okay, if you're assuming that Acts 1.8 is about you getting power from the Holy Spirit and you doing things, you've missed the message. The message is about Jesus there. Jesus actually, he doubles down on this in Luke, Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. He says this, He's, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the, forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his names to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. He said, hey, this is going to happen. And then he goes in Acts 1.8 and he's like, not only is this going to happen, this is how this is going to happen. Jesus commanded his disciples to take the message of what he had done to all the nations, to all the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, he says, now, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you've received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you're saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received for what I received, Paul as a believer, Paul as a Christian, what he received, the gospel that he received, I passed on to you as of first importance. First importance, not the weather, not how your family is doing. 
as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul said, hey, this is the gospel. This is it right here, that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and that he rose again to prove that he really was the son of God who came to save us. Jesus is the message that we are supposed to share. And as like today's Palm Sunday, it's the beginning of Holy Week. It's, you know, and, and there's that famous story where Jesus, he's riding in on a donkey. And they got the palm fronds that are laying down. It's a sign of royalty, like he's doing all of these things, right? And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, right? And before you've seen like the kids come out as we sing Hosanna and march along with the palm fronds. It's great and it's fun and it's really, really cute, like all of those things. Yeah, but that being said, my fear is, is that 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 the church, the capital C church, Western Christian church, that we are going to be known as the church who wave palm fronds on Sunday and walk through and it's cute and it's great. And then really when it comes down to it, when it gets later on in the week, when we get down to brass tacks, that we're also going to be the ones turning our back on him saying, I never knew him. That's my concern. And that should be everybody's concern as well because it's our responsibility to be able to share this gospel regardless of circumstance in your life, regardless of what it is that you have going on, right? And we've all, we've all kind of, we, we've heard that joke, right? Like in your small groups or like Sunday school or, or whatever it is and you're having this conversation about Jesus and someone's like, hey, if you don't, if you don't know the answer, just say Jesus, Right? You guys have heard that joke, right? And like most of the time you're right at church. Like if you just say like Jesus or God or the Bible, or like someone asks you like, hey, okay, so where is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Where is that? And you can just say the Bible and like technically you're right. You know what I mean? Like you're good at that point. Like at least, that's at least worth half credit. You know what I mean? Like maybe not full credit, but you're going to get, you're going to get half credit for that. You know, and it's funny, and I do think, you know, maybe having those answers maybe shortchanges it, like God, Jesus, or the Bible. But the reality is, if, if we can get out of this place and recognize that, hey, if I simply can have the name of Jesus on my lips, or I can simply talk about God, or I can simply talk about the Bible, or I can simply talk about, maybe we throw the Holy Spirit in there. I know we're Baptists, so sometimes we're a little uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit, because clapping is really hard for us. I get it. Okay, but that being said, like if we can get out of this place and simply have those words on our lips and recognize what it is that they have done for us, that God has done for us, then, then I would probably count that as a win because we're doing largely more with that, simply having those names on our lips than what the church is currently doing. It's our responsibility to do so because God, Jesus, in the Bible, man, that's pretty much our message, that's the message of Acts 1.8. That's what we're supposed to proclaim. And here's where we get it wrong sometimes. Is that Jesus didn't send us on a mission to tell people how, how religious we are and talk about our morality and our moral code. Like, look at how good I am. I tucked my shirt in. I didn't. I never do. I'm sorry. I know some of you have issue with that. Okay, but that's not why we're on mission. Morality is not our mission. It's not like all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I don't care how polished or dirty you are. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The message that we need is the message of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we need. Jesus didn't send us on mission to tell people that, that we have a good church. 
They have a shiny church. They have a church with modern art on the wall. It's not why Jesus sent us. He didn't send us to, to say, hey, man, our church is great. You even get free donuts when you come in the morning. That's pretty cool. You don't even have to feed your kids that morning. You just show up. And the pastor said they could be dirty and you'll feed them too. It's easy. Right? That's not the message that we are supposed to, to proclaim. That's not our mission. Jesus hasn't sent us on a mission to spread the American dream. You know, when we go overseas, we go somewhere else to like impoverished countries. They don't have the, the luxuries that we do. That's not why we're on mission. You know, what if our economy collapses? Like a lot of people assume that our economy is going to collapse and we lose everything that we have, like many people did back in 2008. What happens to that message? Right? The American dream is not our gospel. Jesus is our gospel. Je Excuse me. Jesus is the most important lesson our kids are going to learn. Jesus is the most important message our students are going to learn. Jesus is the help that the downtrodden need. Jesus is, those, Jesus is, is what those in our neighborhoods need. He's what those at NAS Lamore need. He's what the families on your kid's baseball team need. He is what our families who will join you on Easter need. That's the message. That's the gospel. That's Acts 1.8. Jesus is the message we all need. The Bible, to be clear, says that we have all fallen. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why God sent Jesus. That's why God sent Jesus to die on the cross. We're celebrating that this week in Holy Week. Right Today is the beginning of Holy Week, which is the death and resurrection of Christ, Sunday to Sunday, and his resurrection on Sunday. But our commission for this verse is you will be my witnesses, Jesus' witnesses. That's the message. And you know, Acts 1-8, it's loved by so many people. Like, it's a great verse. But Acts 1-8 needs to remind us of the scope of responsibility that we have as people who have said yes to Jesus, like the scope of our mission as a church. Like where is it that we're supposed to share that message? Jesus told the disciples, you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. These are four distinct places that Jesus talks about. Actually, you can find them if you have a print Bible. In the back, there's that map section that you largely ignore, and you're like, why do I need to look at a map for? Okay, this is a great opportunity for you to look at a map, okay? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. If you're looking for the ends of the earth on the map, it's not going to be there. It's just the rest of the map for those of you who are unfamiliar with maps, okay? But there are four distinct places you know, Jerusalem, and you can kind of see them as like concentric circles, right? Jerusalem was their home base. It's where they met in the temple. It's where they worshiped. It's their neighborhood. It's their oikos, right? It's those 8 to 15 people that, that God had both supernaturally, supernaturally and strategically placed in your life to be able to make an impact for the kingdom of God. That's, that's Jerusalem. And Judea was kind of their state in a sense, right? It's kind of like California for us, an area around their city. Maybe it's Kings County. I don't know where it is you live or your scope of influence, but maybe it's, it's California. Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria was kind of the next state over. Okay, and as we, 
As we see in the Gospels, the, the residents of Samaria were different, largely thought of as kind of like half-breeds, half outcasts by the Judeans, okay, because they were, yeah, outcasts. So they were not only a different region, but also a different ethnicity. So the cultural norms in those areas were not the same. So maybe for us, like people that we tend to maybe not see as eye to eye with and maybe are a little bit strange, but a little further away, like I'm thinking Oregon probably, you know what I mean? I was just kidding. Some of you didn't like that joke because you're like, I love Oregon. It is green and lush. You're right. I get it. Okay. But that's Samaria, right? And then the remotest parts of the earth means all the other countries of the earth to the furthest places of the earth. So Jesus is basically, basically saying, start where you are. Start in your Jerusalem and then work your way out from there. And all the countries of the world, start where you are. Start in your own city. That's why we're saying, hey, love where you live. Start in your Jerusalem, your city, town, neighborhood, your oikos. Like I said, if you're new with us, oikos, it's a Greek word. It's found all over the place in scripture. It means household. Okay, and the context in which it is used oftentimes is like when Jeff preached about the demoniac a couple weeks ago. And the, this guy that Jesus had just healed of like all this spiritual warfare, all these different things, he wants to go with Jesus. He wants to get in the boat with Jesus and just go learn and be with him and, and, and like be in Jesus' Bible study in his small group and like I'm going to grow in my faith and I'm going to get discipled. And Jesus is like, no, you can't. Go home. Go to your oikos. Go back to those people that you have influence in their life. So we say those, these are 8 to 15 people that God has both supernaturally and strategically placed in your life to make an impact for the kingdom of God. You already have them in your life. They are already there. Start where you live. Start in your Jerusalem. That's where we're supposed to start. And it gets bigger from there, of course, and I want you to know a couple things that we're doing like as a church that, that gets not just from Jerusalem, but then kind of works its way out from there. We have some really, really special partnerships that we have in our community. Okay, one of them, if you have never checked out King's Gospel Mission, go check them out. They're doing some incredible, incredible work with those who, who, are, who are impoverished. They're, they're getting people rent history and work history and eventually doing their best to send them out into the world. They're incredible things. We we, uh, we support Crossroads Pregnancy Center, and I just pulled their mission statement right off there. I figure I'm going to let them speak for themselves. Their mission statement is to share the love of Christ in word and deed, in word and deed. So word, important. Sometimes it's like, if I live enough like Jesus, I don't have to talk about Jesus. That's not true. It says that nowhere in the gospel. Stop it. Okay, but they say, they say the mission is to share the love of Christ in word and deed with anyone experiencing an unplanned pregnancy, post-abortion syndrome, or lifestyle distress. We want to partner with these organizations who are going to proclaim the name of Jesus in a very real way because Acts 1-8 is a very real mandate from Christ. And people need to know that they are loved and that Jesus has a plan for their life. So beyond those organizations, man, we've been pushing hard and to serve your community, right? It seems like every single month, Jeff is up here saying, hey, we're going to serve our community. It's because he is. Every single month he does it, right? And we've done numerous things. You saw the boxes out there. Those are our food boxes. 
that, like Jeff said, we're almost at, we're almost at 100. I would, this is a great problem to have to try to figure out how to get more boxes to feed more people, right? And bring them back next week. Please bring them back next week. We've gotten some back, and I want to assume it's because you all are excited about it. I think it really just fits your schedule a little better to drop them off early. But it's all good. Like, we'll take it anytime. Okay, we want to we push in and serve our community well in the name of Jesus. Yeah, we've done stuff all year. Just last, last month, I don't think we celebrated it well enough. But we did something real small. We baked cookies and we wrote, we wrote notes of encouragement and prayers to every single fire station in Kings County. And then beyond that, we, we did the same thing for every single pastoral staff member in Kings County. And we just delivered them. And we're still getting thank yous back. And, and, and I got one from, from a pastor in town who's like, why is your team so awesome? Man, I appreciate the prayers, but can you please not try to make me fat? I'm like, all right, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. Like, we want to push hard in our community. Just show them, hey, look, we love you. We're here. Like, we want to proclaim the name of Jesus in a very real way. And even as we're doing quite a bit, you know, as a church, sending money, I think we send around $110,000 a year out into missions, whether domestic or foreign missions. Okay, and that's a, that's a big old big old price tag, big old check that we get to write and bless people with. But Jeff, he's, he's consistently doing his best to try to get teams together right now to go on missions, to actually go somewhere and support people physically who are already supporting monetarily. We've got trips lined up for Costa Rica and Mexico. If you're interested, Jeff at fbhanford.org. Say, I want to go on a trip. Cool. He'll take care of it. Right? Like, like we want to push to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8, it's not just a suggestion, it's a mandate. And the reality is, I think, I think regardless of what we're doing as a corporate church, and we need to hear this, regardless of what we're doing as a corporate church, that doesn't exempt any of us who call ourselves Christians from this call that Jesus gives in Acts 8. It doesn't exempt you. Just because we're doing something as a church doesn't mean that you're exempt from it. It does not mean that you're, it, it, it isn't to say, you know, all of us are, are headed to China or another closed country in order to profess the gospel and you're going to leave your family behind, okay? But Jesus doesn't mince words here. This is a real command that he gives to his followers. Because it's one thing to say our church, is, our church is doing X, Y, Z to share the gospel in all these places, and isn't it great? And our church is doing great things to be able to, to serve the community. And our church is really pushing hard into doing these things. But the real question for you is not just what our church is doing, but what is it that you personally are doing? It's one thing to want our church to be an Acts 1-8 church. It's a very different thing and a much more difficult thing for us as Christians to be Acts 1-8 Christians. And we want to focus there. We want to move there. We want to make sure that, hey, we are doing our best as a corporate church to be able to do that. You want to know the easiest way to do that corporately? To do it individually. And as a collective group of Acts 1-8 Christians, we turn into one corporate group of Acts 1-8 church. That's the goal. And I think it would be great, even as a personal goal, to say, hey, man, you know, it would be awesome. You know, you keep t- talking about Oikos, but there's these other areas, you know, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. I think it would be great if every Christian at some point was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to share the gospel both in Jerusalem and then also I'm going to go further out of, of my Jerusalem. I'm going to go to my Judea 
and then outside of my Judea, I'm going to go to Samaria, and then even then, I'm going to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. Even if, it's, even if you're like, I'm going to go for a week and do my best to proclaim Jesus' name. What an incredible personal goal that would be, to be like, hey, dude, I, I did my best to fulfill the mandate in Acts 1.8. The question is, is, what does God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? And honestly, for like my hope for today, what you would get out of today, out of today is we have those Oikos cards. I know a lot of you have them or you threw them away or whatever, but there's some in the lobby. There's some on the, on the front patio out there. And it's just a list. It's like a list of 15 names for you to be able to say, hey, who is it that I'm already in relationship with that needs to know about Jesus? And you write those down and you're supposed to be praying over them. And every time you open your Bible, you're like, oh, those are the people that, that I care deeply about, that I really, really want to profess the name of Jesus. My goal for you is to say, hey, this week, I'm going to take a step forward with one, with one of those people. And I don't know if it's sharing the gospel. Use Easter. Like, use Easter as a jumping off point, right? Like, this is the easiest week to invite somebody to church. They're going to go somewhere, right? Most people are going to go somewhere. They're simply waiting to be asked. Just be like, hey, we got free cinnamon rolls at ours. Sweet, I'm there, right? Like, use this as an opportunity to jump in with somebody. But just take one, one step this week towards becoming that Acts 1-8 Christian. You know, what is it that God wants you to do? And my oikos has been completely and totally like flipped on its head in the last couple weeks, right? Sarah and I moved, right? I just told you about that. So we have a brand new, brand new neighborhood. Hey, I've met the majority of my neighbors. There's one who has like a solidified fence all the way around their house that I haven't broken into yet. Hey, we met most of our neighbors. Yeah, I just, this is really fun. Uh, my, my oldest son is going to play baseball, and uh, I just got put into a group chat with 12 other parents. So, like, hey, it just looks like I just got, like, 11 more people in my Oikos right now. If you're going to text me about colored pants, I'm going to text you about Jesus. <laughs> right? We signed up our, our other five kids, our other five kids to be uh, our other five kids, all five of our kids. I don't have six kids. That is not foreshadowing. Everybody shut your mouth right now. All five of our kids, four swimming, okay? It's like, hey, I got all these kids on a swim team. I'm going to be at practice for three hours. Off, I mean, it's one hour per practice, and they, we have so many kids. I've lost count. Um, but I get the opportunity then to talk to them about Jesus. Even this week, hey, man, we had, we had our HVAC go down, right? I told you about that. Guess what? I had four new people in my Oikos this week. Four guys who came and gave me a quote for our HVAC. I got to talk to a couple of them about, couple of them about Jesus. I know for a fact that, that three of them actually already attended a church. It was like, cool, we got to talking about spiritual things. We got to talking about one of, their, one of their, uh, their kids throughout it. And yeah, they're having a hard time. We talked about like parenting and like parenting grown kids. And all my kids are young and all of that. Like, like my oikos got completely and totally flipped on its head this week. But then it gave me an opportunity for, with fresh eyes to be able to push into that Acts 1-8. But it wasn't through me. It's like that little prompting, right? The, the first part of Acts 1-8 that, that I didn't cover on purpose yet. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. When the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12-13. It says, for by one spirit, one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. 
Ephesians 1.13 says, Having believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Romans 8.9, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to them. In other words, if you are not a Christian, you do not have the Spirit. If you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. He is the God in us. Every single Christian has the Holy Spirit. So you have this power. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop making it at the top of my list of priorities. I'm going to do that. Wait for that little prompting. Wait for it to happen. Hey, I got a text message. There's 12 people here. Man, I should probably, should probably do my best to represent Jesus in this. Hey, I got four guys coming over to my house who are going to charge me a ton of money to fix my AC. Guess what? They have to listen to me talk about Jesus then. I'm essentially paying them to hear about Jesus at that point. And it's not because of me. It's not because of what I'm doing. I'm not the hero of the story. I didn't bring anybody to Jesus this week or anything like that. It's through the, the prompting and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. It's God in us. We have to have the power of the Spirit to share the gospel effectively. Zechariah 4.6. It has my favorite name in all of Scripture to pronounce besides Jesus. Okay, good. Now, my favorite name in all of Scripture to pronounce. He said, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Such a fun name. Pronounce it later in the mirror. It's fantastic. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit says the Lord Almighty. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. We want to be seeking what Jesus told us. Like we want to be seeking that and should be the power, this, the spirit should be the power behind our work, the power of God's Holy Spirit. And he's the one that we need to to empower our witnessing, our kingdom work. It's not about us. It's not about how many people that you can talk to. It's about listening to the Spirit and utilizing that. His Spirit can do way more than we ever could with our own power and our own programs. You know, there's a, a story about a man who lived, lived in Oklahoma. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm an Okie, at least according to my grandma. I've never been there. We just don't know what nationality I am, so we just claim Oklahoma. That's who we are. Anyway, but, but it hadn't rained much in a while. It had been a long time since it had rained and things were getting, you know, pretty, pretty dry. And so this guy was like, hey, I don't want my yard to turn all crispy and gross. You guys have been there, drought, Central California, right? We get it. And so this guy was like, hey, I want my yard to still look nice. So he took his, his garden hose and he talked to, he set a timer on his phone for every 20 minutes to go out into his yard and move that garden hose. He's dragging it all the way around his yard. Regardless of how often he watered, it just looked like that water was continually getting soaked in the ground over and over and over again. Didn't make a difference. And he's frustrated and he's angry. And just about that point, you see some clouds start to roll in. Thunderstorm happens and it's pouring, absolutely pouring rain. His yard gets completely and totally saturated. The rain that the earth needed. And he said, God did more in five minutes than I did all week in watering my lawn. How true is that when it comes to, to our spiritual lives and our ability, what we think it's our ability. And the reality is it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by God's power that we are supposed to do things. Because when God's Holy Spirit moves, he's going to do more in five minutes than we can do all week. 
So as we talk to you about your oikos, as we talk to you about loving where you live, please don't assume that it's your job to do it alone. It is your responsibility to do it, but it's not through your might. It's not through your power. Okay, you get the opportunity and the responsibility to present the gospel. God is the one who gets to save people, not you. Don't put that on yourself. That's God's responsibility. It's God's responsibility to draw people in and save them, not yours. But the question then becomes, what would the church look like if we actually did this? What would the church look like if we said, hey, look, I'm going to be an Acts 1-8 individual. Collectively, we're an Acts 1-8 church as FBH. And then beyond that, the capital C church actually becomes Acts 1-8. Like it continues to grow. If the church simply said yes to God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? My assumption is that we would see people who had previously written off the gospel because that's the reality of kind of where we live is that most people in your oikos, most people in your sphere have heard the name Jesus before. Okay? They, know, they know the name Jesus. And my guess is they've either walked away from Jesus because of something another follower of Christ did or said at some point Okay, or largely they just, they said yes to Jesus at some point and they walked away or they've never said yes to him before, but they've heard the name Jesus. Okay, but my assumption is in the church, if we got serious about saying yes to God in the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would see people who had previously written off the gospel come to Christ because they would recognize what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. You know, our message of the gospel would be and should be completely countercultural, wanting to glorify God above all things. Above all things. You know, submitting to his authority, assuming God's direction in the power of his spirit. At that point, it can't be tamed. It cannot be tamed. Let the story of Jesus move you to communicate the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth as we do our best as individuals and as a church collectively to love where we live. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm thankful for, for Acts 1-8. And God, it's a responsibility that as we, as we enjoy being a part of your family as we enjoy being a part of, of the fellowship of believers, as your word puts it. God, we need to realize and recognize that it's our responsibility to step up to the plate. As Peter said, that we are more than conquerors. We're more than conquerors in you, in your spirit. And so God, I pray that, that we would be emboldened in that. I pray that we would be willing to take our next step forward, those people who are in our oikos. Maybe it's a trip that you've never been on before. Maybe it's simply starting to pray for those people who are in your relational world. I don't know, God, but I just pray that we would do that. We would take that next step to become more of an Acts 1-8 individual. And maybe there's those in here who have, who have yet to say yes to that free gift of grace who have yet to say, you know what, yep, I'm in. I, I, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life, that you've never made that profession of faith. Maybe you're, you're sitting on the edge and you're thinking to yourself, hey, you know what, like I, 
I, I believe all of this. But that being said, I've never made that proclamation before. I would just, man, make it today. Make today the day. You can simply do it by, by praying in the quietness of your heart with head still bowed and eyes still closed. Just repeat after me. Say, Father, I, I, a, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that I fall short of your glory every single day. And B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And he was raised on the third day. We're celebrating that next week. I believe that, Father. And see, I would choose to follow you every single day. That as I say yes to you now, that means I'm saying yes to you every single day. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.